Hello, and welcome to a Holly Jolly episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. This week we are doing a holiday special rather than our normal trilogy. Um, this episode is being released, you know, perhaps a, a few days later than our, our normal scheduling. Um, come to find out, we had planned to do our Christmas Come Early trilogy starting this week with Don't Look Up. And then realized that that actually is hitting Netflix in a few weeks, that it was starting as a theater-only release. So, basically, rather than doing the holiday special... Wait, Fred, I'm, I'm live at the theater right now. Oh, Are God damn. Okay, um... No, well, just... Is yeah, I'll, I'll be there in just a minute. Yeah. Oh, it might, be, it might be a Lion King situation. Okay, my bad. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I was... Honest, legitimately concerned with that with the Rudolph episode we're doing. Well, we'll get into that. So, um, ultimately, we decided that we would just push the Christmas Come Early trilogy back a week. We would do our Christmas special, our holiday, you know, our TV specials um, a couple weeks early to take its place. So with that, we had to kind of watch, actually watch the specials. Um, ironically, it wound up being that watching three TV specials from the 60s uh, was still less time than most of the movies we watch today. I think The Grinch and Charlie Brown clock in at just over 20 minutes, and Rudolph the Red News Reindeer is like at 54. So um, it's <laughs> I think it's still less than two hours of content that we consumed in watching three specials. With that said, kind of, you know, put the, the cart in front of the horse there. What we did decide to do was uh, review 1966's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 1965's The Charlie Brown Christmas, and 1964's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So three, you know, classic made-for-TV specials. Um, with that said, Travis, I don't know if there's anything you want to say before we get into it, but um, I think we'll start reverse order. We'll start with The Grinch, Charlie Brown, and then Rudolph. Any any first first words before we jump in? Well, I thought it was odd that you would pick something like Rudolph and Charlie Brown and then go with a Jim Carrey feature-length film for oh, The Grinch. Oh, no. Wait, no, 1966. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you watched Jim Carrey's in 20 minutes, I'm, I want to know what cut you got. <laughs> No, but this is a uh, a unique holly, holiday special for the Hollywood Chop Shop, hopefully the first of many. So uh, the format's going to be a little bit all over the place, but yeah, I we're, look forward to hearing your thoughts. Absolutely. So we're not doing a traditional five-point inspection. We're just going to kind of do uh, our initial thoughts of the three movies. We do are going to jump into a, a Chop Shop where this week, instead of trying to chop up each of these, we chop them all up together, which I think is a beautiful transition into the next movie we're watching is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So uh, accidentally fell into that one. Um, and then there's no taglines or blue book for these movies because they were made for TV specials, but we do have a new game I'm calling Margins, at which point I'm going to have Travis try and guess the margin between the critic and the you know, normal audience review on Rotten Tomatoes and see where we land on those. But I think, you know, that's uh, enough of us babbling here. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it. So Travis, just overall thoughts of our Christmas, you know, condensed trilogy before we get into the the three movies as a whole. What did you think? Like, do you watch Christmas movies or holiday movies? Is it something you was this a was this out of the blue or out of the ordinary for you to have to watch these movies? Uh, very much so. Uh, when you talk about Travis Santana's holiday picks, it's stuff like Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So I think I saw all of these when I was a small child. I remember nothing about any of them. Uh, so for a couple of them, I'll have some questions for you in case you're more familiar. Uh, but yeah, this is almost like an alien coming to Earth watching children's Christmas specials. Uh, yeah, I was very familiar with The Grinch and Charlie Brown. Those were movies I, I think we watched every year when I was a kid. Uh, more so, the Charlie Brown soundtrack is a staple for my holidays. Um, the the jazz, you know, I don't know if you would call it a score or not, uh, but accompaniment of that. Rudolph, on the other hand, was something I don't know if I ever really watched as a kid. I think I was familiar with it, and I'm, I'm sure I watched it at some point because when both of us were coming up with the trilogy, we both were like, yeah, the one with the island of misfit toys. So we knew enough about what was going on. At the same time, as I alluded, I was terrified I was going to pick the wrong Rudolph because I know there's one with like baby New Year and all. I'm like, at a certain point, I, I thought they were all like the same movie. <laughs> but luckily, uh, we I think I'm pretty sure we, we watched the same one. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. I would like to start with the Grinch. Do you have any overall thoughts of the Grinch? Um, truth be told, no. Uh, I, I love the message of it. I love the message of, well, at least two, two of the three movies. Um, I was kind of surprised uh, accompanying Charlie Brown, how, these specials were kind of takedowns of, of the commercialism of Christmas. I, I didn't remember that. I think the Grinch conveys it in its own famous way. Um, but no, I, I honestly don't have much to say about the Grinch because it's kind of uh, ingrained in my head. Did you take any deeper meaning from it? Uh, no, it's definitely one of those, yeah, going back and watching it as an adult now, I I didn't realize how anti-commercialism both Charlie Brown and the Grinch are. I find it insanely ironic that both of them take such a anti-commercialism take and how commercialized both of those <laughs> specials have become. Like, oh my god, your inflatable Snoopy for your yard or inflatable Grinch. I'm like, again, it's like the... It seems like people love those these specials, but they don't really comprehend the ultimate message of what the specials are, which is like all the shit you're buying doesn't fucking matter. Um, so I do think it's funny that at a certain point, the the message got lost and people just watch them. I, I don't know if it's just because it's a, a tradition or not, but I'm like, to me, I, I did very much enjoy the, the message of the Grinch and Charlie Brown, especially when you compare that to Rudolph the Red. All these were made within like four years of each other. Um, but then you have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where there's literally a song called Silver and Gold that's talking about shiny new things. And I'm like, oh, wow, that one did not have the same message. So just to say, again, overarching, like, I thought that that was funny, that that one is definitely the odd man out there. But um, overall, I, I still love The Grinch. It's one of those, you know, when I compare it to Charlie Brown, like, it definitely has better, I think, composition and a lot of its shots in its direction. Um, and that was one of the criticisms of Charlie Brown. I know like uh, when it was originally created, a lot of the producers and stuff like that, um, when they went to the studio heads were basically like, oh my God, it's so lo-fi. Like the, the animation is so low level. Like basically the story is like, had it not been that it had to go on like the next week, they don't think that the Charlie Brown Christmas special would have actually ever aired. Um, Cause there's a lot more that we'll get into with that with some of the stuff behind the scenes that the, the execs had a problem with. But ultimately, I mean, 
I think the Grinch is a great contained story. It's one of those, like, it's a shame that they did make it into feature length movie because I don't think it needed that. And I don't, you know, it's one of those I never go back and want to watch the Jim Carrey version. I, I would still go back and watch the original 66 version. But one thing I really did want to hit on was in doing a little bit of research and afterward, and it, I'm surprised I didn't notice it earlier, is apparently, you know, this is all based off of the Dr. Seuss book, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, but um, this was actually directed by Chuck Jones. Are you familiar with that name at all? Not at all. So Chuck Jones actually drew a lot of the Looney Tunes. So um, in doing some research, most of the Who's and a lot of the other stuff kept a lot of the original character design from Dr. Seuss. The exception being Chuck Jones had a heavy influence on kind of reanimating the Grinch. And if you actually look at the original illustrations in the book and what we got in the cartoon, you can tell that there was some difference. But I just, I mean, I know Chuck Jones, you know, the Looney Tunes had a lot of expression on that, but I just love the level of expression from the Grinch in this movie. Like some of his facial expressions down to his crooked teeth, like the level of detail and some of the the different, you know, emotion, again, I say of the emotions that he conveyed and stuff like that. And as he's talking, like I just, it really showed how prolific Chuck Jones was as an animator in the late 60s. Because I just, again, I think the... The character design and the the range of emotion that you got out of the Grinch in his face was just absolutely amazing um, for for a cartoon from 1966, you know? Interesting. I guess I'm not familiar enough with the Seuss uh, source material, but the Grinch as conveyed in this Christmas special is the Grinch that I remember. Um, so in, in the books that Dr. Seuss wrote – he was not as expressive. Is that what you're saying? Not as expressive. He was a little bit softer. I mean, it's one of those like when you look at the Grinch, you're like, oh, it's Dr. Seuss. Cause again, that's what you associate. But if you were to actually like Google the book, you'd be like, oh no, I'll be damned. Like there is, there are some major differences and like you can see Chuck Jones's influence over the kind of the special version of the Grinch. Um, cause like I said, it is, I mean, the Grinch almost looks more like the cat in the hat. Like it's, and again, once you look at it, it is, you can see like, oh, there is a, a major difference in Dr. Seuss's style versus what Chuck Jones did with this. But it's one of those, I guess it's because it is ingrained in you. It's Dr. Seuss's how the Grinch stole Christmas. You don't really realize that until you find out like, oh, I'll be damned. Yeah, you're right. And then you see Chuck Jones's other work. And you're like, oh, I could definitely see where you know pieces of the looney tunes are like you know wiley coyote or bugs bunny and like some of their expression or even you know yosemite sam and stuff like that. you can actually see like oh there are there is a major major difference you know in in that animation well not to put you on the spot here but was dr seuss alive for the release of this christmas special i'm positive he was i don't think seuss died until like the 80s Gotcha. So do you know, did he have any sort of feedback? I know previously on The Shining, we discussed Stephen King being uh, very tied to his own creation. Do you know how Dr. Seuss reacted to kind of the modification of a character he created? Um, I didn't find anything where Seuss had a problem with it. So I would assume that he would have been pretty vocal if he had a problem with it. But um to that point, no. I mean, I think they pre stayed pretty pretty close to the source material. It was just a matter of Chuck Jones was an on a, on, a animator. You know, Dr. Seuss was an illustrator. 
True, true. Yeah, there's a big difference between those two. Yeah, no, I was just curious. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I like I said, I I definitely very much enjoy the the Grinch. You know, the I've always wanted to make a T-shirt that just says I choose the seasick crocodile from the lyrics of the song because I just think it would be funny to have a shirt that just says that and see how many people pick up on the you know um, the the lyrics from from this special. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm a I am a, a big fan of the of the Grinch. I'm not sure where you landed if it was something like no, you did enjoy it or you didn't enjoy it or you'll ever go back. Uh, I mean, I'm basically the Grinch before his heart grows three sizes. <laughs> Um, but even still, I can see why this is a timeless classic. And most importantly, even if it's lost to time and people lose the point, the heart of this story is a good one. And I think it, it's one that needs to be told. And it, it's timeless. If you have kids, I think it's important if you celebrate Christmas to show them this movie. Mm -hmm. And just one more thing I'll touch on just as a justification of one of my earlier comments before we jump to Charlie Brown. It's like when I talk about the the um the composition so like that there's a, a really awesome scene where cindy lou who comes up for the first time and she's standing there small holding the ornament and as the grinch is talking to her it never the shot doesn't pan back to the grinch talking it's just his menacing shadow talking on the wall while cindy lou who stands there and i just i think it's a really great shot just showing how you know Granted, he's telling her something nice, like, oh, I'm just going to take the tree back. Like, at the end of the day, like, his true intentions are, you know, malicious. Yeah, and I still, to this day, love the design of the Who's, mm -hmm. especially Cindy. Just adorable. Yep. And, and to think that this was animation from, you know, 80 years ago is incredible to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into a little bit of Charlie Brown. Uh, so I kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, the, the studio execs thought the animation was very basic, which I'll agree with, especially when you're watching this stuff back to back and you realize that Charlie Brown was only a year before the Grinch and you're like, Oh shit. Like, I guess, you know, it, it was fairly basic. They also had a problem with the jazz music. They thought it didn't fit the, <laughs> the tone of the special at all. But another thing that was very interesting um, that I'm not sure if you're aware or not, the monologue of Linus explaining what Christmas is about, like the executives tried to push hard for there not to be any actual like Christian or religious like communication in this movie whatsoever. And basically, um, what's his name? Schultz, right? I believe was, yeah, uh, Charles Schultz yeah, who creator. writes the, yeah, yeah. the peanuts. <laughs> his response was really like, if you take that out, there's no point doing it. Like, that's the point of the Christmas special is it's, it's about Christmas. And again, the old, whole anti-consumerism type thing or anti-commercialism, like it's about the story of, of Jesus and stuff like that. So it's funny to hear that basically the executives thought they had a giant bomb on their hands because they thought the animation was was not good they thought that the jazz was not going to be well received and ultimately that the you know they didn't like that there was a, a religious or christian actual message in this christmas special and it wound up just exploding and being fantastic which is incredible to me because through the scope of time I feel like in 2020, if you wanted to have a, a Christian connotation on Christmas, that would be encouraged by advertisers. So it's incredible to me that in, you know, the 60s, that was a, a pushback. And frankly, 
as someone who is not religious at all, I still think that the Charlie Brown special would be lesser if you remove those elements and non-religious wise, the jazz that made it for me. Like that was the best part of the Charlie Brown special was the music for me. I have to agree. It's, it is the, the shining light. It's another one of those where I think if this was more than 20 minutes, I'm not sure how much I would enjoy it, but because it is so nice and condensed, it is like, I can sit down and feel good that I watched the Charlie Brown Christmas. And the, again, the music is just so fantastic. I do enjoy the message, the anti-commercialism message and stuff like that. Um, apparently Charlie well, Brown had a huge, huge um, influence in actually getting rid of aluminum trees, which I will tell you, Travis, I actually had, I looked it up for the first time. Aluminum trees did actually exist. Um, in the like the sixties. Well, I have a question that you may not be able to answer. Do you have any familiarity with the peanuts comic strip in general? Cause I don't Va- vaguely. I, I wouldn't say that I have a lot. Why do you ask? <laughs> it's only 26 minutes. So that's part of it. You can't really have any character development, but is Charlie Brown always so negative? Yes. And that's just always, downtrodden? Yeah. Charlie Brown is, yeah, of all the Charlie Browns, he's the Charlie Browniest. Yeah, he's he is always just kind of a depressed, like, melancholy dick. Okay, see, that's the context that I did not have because I guess I'm one of the few people in the world who knows nothing about Charlie Brown other than he has a dog named Snoopy. And uh, he gets tricked by uh, Lucy with the football. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was a little bit taken aback about his immediate negativity towards Christmas and the anti-commercialism angle that he takes. And I'm like, Charlie Brown is supposed to be a small child, and yet he is uh, (laughs) speaking to my own heart. So I was curious (laughs) if that was changed for the Christmas special. But you're saying that's kind of his motif in general. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Brown's always kind of yeah. He's he's a little melancholy, which I'm saying. I'm glad that you brought up the actual uh, comic strip because I did feel like that was one thing. I think the Charlie Brown special kind of, I think, was one of its vices. Is to me a lot of it felt like comic strips pieced loosely together with the anti-commercial narrative. Like, there's a lot to me where I'm like, oh. This definitely feels like, you know, Charles Schultz, like, you know, the piano thing about Jingle Bells or like there's a lot of it where it feels like this feels like you wrote panels for a comic strip and then you just basically and maybe that's how you're supposed to write movies or scenes. But it's like it just felt like comic strip to comic strip to comic strip. And then you had just kind of a loose overarching, you know, narrative about the anti-commercialism of of Christmas. And not that I'm saying that that was a good thing or a bad thing, but there was definitely a certain point where, you know, looking at this through a critical eye, you de- it definitely started to feel like that, where I was like, okay, these feel like these feel like small contained comic strips that are just kind of tied together at the edges. Yeah, and I mean, with a 26-minute runtime, I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to make a two-hour feature-length film that's stitched together with comics, it's a problem. But other than the jarring introduction of Charlie Brown being, you know, an old man trapped in a young kid's body, 
after I get over the shock of that introduction, I thought it was very, it was very heartfelt. The the community mm. coming around to try to help Charlie Brown understand the importance of, of Christmas and enjoy it. it I, I'm shocked to say that it did move me, you mm. know, for a, you know, 60 year old cartoon that, you know, that's only 26 minutes long. Yep. And I think that's why, Charlie Brown and the Grinch who stole Christmas, I think are are better at, you know, you're saying, you know, standing the test of time. Like people will always go back and, and find these specials. You know, at a certain point with my children, you know, I'll introduce them to it. And I'm sure we'll watch it. And like there's a reason to come back to these. As opposed to the third movie in our trilogy. Jesus. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Um I'm going to tell anybody right now, if you are a huge fan of this and it it tugs on you in nostalgic ways or you've watched it for the first time and loved it, you might want to skip ahead a little bit because I'm about to drop trowel and take a big old deuce on this movie because <laughs> um, I thought uh, from a narrative, from a, a story standpoint down to it being a Christmas special that this, this hour-long whatever you want to call it was was just dog shit i thought it was terrible um i have one specific point of contention that i i really want to rail on mm-hmm. but it sounds like you have more so i want to give you the chance to take the floor first all right so my first <laughs> my first problem and let me say this the puppets are cool, all right? It's It was interesting at the time what they were doing. I guess the technology, it was actually they borrowed from like what they did with the old Godzilla movies where it was like wire and stuff like that that they put them together. Um, there were a couple of the characters I enjoyed their character design, like uh, Sam the Snowman. I still love the image of Sam the Snowman. I think if you did an actual like illustration of him would be really cool. I just, I did enjoy his character. Um, to me, uh, Yukon Cornelius is a shining light in this movie. I enjoy him and I would love to know more about his character. Um, just so that it's not just a complete negative downpour on this thing. But now we'll get into some of my problems with this 54 minute long special. Um, the first and foremost being Santa's a fucking dick. In this, yes. In this whole, he's a fucking asshole. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to save my comments about Santa because it, it plays heavily into my chop shop. But yeah, when he just dismisses the elves efforts, it's, I'm like, is this a, trying to be more of me where, like, than I'm I'm like, give Sam- credit for? <laughs> I'm I'm 90 percent sure if the people who wrote this put Santa, let's, they would assume Santa is a racist the way he treats Rudolph for having a red nose, the way he talks about the elves, like, oh, let's get this over with. Like, those are his helpers. Those are who do all this. Like, he's just a fucking asshole in this movie. The From beginning to end, like, Rudolph is dis- basically establishes that he is, of the the fawns, he is the, the strongest. He's the only one who's able to fly or anything like that. Everyone's super impressed. The minute his nose comes off and he has the red nose, Santa's basically like, Donner, you fucking asshole. Like, can you, you trying to pull a fast one on me? He can't be part of my sleigh. He's got a red nose, this piece of shit over here. We might as well make him into reindeer meat. I'm just like, good luck, Santa. Like, there's no reason for him to hate Rudolph as much as he does to this movie. Like, Santa is about pure breed fucking reindeer, all right? 
Well, not only that, but his treatment of the elves, Santa Claus is an early template for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, uh, yeah, so please can please continue, because we haven't hit the point of contention that I have about Rudolph. Um, I think Donner, Rudolph's father, is a terrible fucking father figure. And I realize this was made in the 60s and it was a different time. But like at a certain point, Donner literally says this is man's work as he's talking to his wife about going out and trying to find Rudolph when he's run away. Like, you stay here, woman. This is man's work. I'm like, good fucking God. I'm like, what message are we saying? And then thank God the mom and Clarice actually go out and try and find him, too. But like. Donner's like, this is his son, and essentially the only problem he has is he has, and let's face it, I honestly think they added the horn whistle nose, because I'm like, the shining nose isn't that bad, but the fucking whistle sound is terrible. Oh, let me go ahead and take a step back to the Grinch, I will just make a, an aside here, because that just reminded me. The way the Grinch describes the Who's on Christmas, I'm on the Grinch's side, all right? All the fucking ruckus and the games and the bullshit that they're doing. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm a 33-year-old man now and I just, like, I, I've, I've become an old man at heart. But I'm like, if they're making enough noise in that little fucking town that he can hear it 10,000 feet up in the air in a mountain, like, yeah, there's probably an issue that needs to be taken care of. <laughs> and the local the local you or um, uh, Who law enforcement is not doing their job, all right? I don't know if this is like a reverse purge situation where it's like, oh, one day a year you're allowed to have as much fun as you want and make as much noise, but at a certain point, let's calm it down. All right. But let me get I mean, back do you into it. The Grinch works within an HOA. I, I I think he lives on the mountain so he can avoid the HOAs. But <laughs> well, but again, know, the, the ruckus you got to make. He's not incorporated. <laughs> It's true. He's he's on the outskirts, but he gets brought in, and that's the good part. Um, <laughs> so, um, in terms of just narratively, I think the resolution comes out of nowhere with Rudolph. Like he runs away, and the next scene is he's an adult deer. But like now, we're to believe that Cornelius and Hermie have been looking for him all this time, and not only that, his father, his mother, and Clarice have also been looking for them this whole time. I assume at least one Christmas has to have passed. And if it hasn't, I feel like Santa would be concerned that his top dog reindeer has not come back after journeying to find his son. And it's very convenient when Rudolph just so happens to find all three of them almost being eaten by the abominable uh, snowman or abominable, sorry, abominable monster. Like, wow, that can convenient time. I realize it's a, it's a children's, Thing, but I don't like this dumbing down narratives for kids type situation. All right. Um, I will say long time since I've seen this, I definitely thought that the art was going to be that, you know, that typical thing where, oh, the abominable snow monster isn't that bad, but it's got a, like a, a rotten tooth or something. And Hermie was going to like re like pull out the rotten tooth and then it was going to be a friend. <laughs> Um, but no, instead they basically rip out all the things teeth. I'm like, this is a terrible, what are we teaching kids with this narrative? Because basically it's just a monster doing its thing out in its territory. Um, and we're not, we're going to knock it out and then we're going to rip out all of its teeth. <laughs> Thank you. That's what, my point of contention. <laughs> like I, I was blown away by what this movie is actually saying because to your point the snowman the abominable snowman does not come into town and, and rip apart villagers he's out in his element 
And I'm as soon as the dentist elf is introduced, I'm like, that's a weird choice to have a dentist elf. How is this going to play out? Well, it's so he can perform surgical torture on the <laughs> snowman. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. So, and it's not like that. I feel like he isn't like, apparently he just knows how to remove teeth or like the, the medical, I'm like he has no medical, uh, ethic or the ethics side of it. Because again, you just ripped out all of the, the monster's teeth. I'm like, why not just kill it? Why, why did you like, this is torture now. What is it going to eat? Yeah, I was like, are they going to try to use this abominable snowman as some sort of servant now that he's literally defanged? Because to your point, if he goes on existing in his natural habitat, he has lost his ability to provide food for himself and his family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, major issues with that. I did think it was funny that Yukon Cornelius actually carries a six shooter around but never uses the thing. Uh, especially when they're being pursued by the monster. Like, I thought that was going to maybe come up. Maybe he'd shoot an icicle or something, even if you're not going to actually shoot the monster. Uh, I don't understand King Moonracer, where the fuck he came from. Is there more lore to that character that I'm supposed to know? I actually looked it up because I'm like, is it one of these things where, like, is there a song about King Moonracer that I'm unfamiliar with that I don't know? Like, where did it? Nope. They just made up King Moonracer and he's in for like 30 seconds just to tell him that he's the king of the misfit toys. And I'm like, okay, this is why the fuck is he here? Um, so that was all of my like really negative things. Like just watching, I'm like, what is going on? Then all of a sudden, like, you know, I do think it's funny how drab. Oh, for starters, Santa lives in a castle. It's the first time he doesn't just live in like, you know, Christmas town. Isn't like a nice little village, like an Eastern or European village or something like that made of gingerbread. I don't know, but no, he lives in a fucking castle and the castle is drab as shit. Like there's nothing remarkable or charming about the castle i mean it is like instead of gray concrete it's purple concrete that's what we're getting from our castle um but uh when he finally realizes that rudolph could help him through the fog and all that it's just all of a sudden like oh rudolph i know i've been a total fucking dick to you but you know what i can use you now why don't you come with me like that's the resolution is basically like let's not accept rudolph for who he is at any given time until it's convenient for us to need something from him and then all of a sudden it's like okay rudolph actually maybe you're not just a freak of nature we'll actually use you yeah to mention other reviews that we've done recently Rudolph is basically Jesus Shuttlesworth. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you can uh, really help the uh, Santa program. Let's go ahead and bring you in, even though we look down upon you. Yeah. So I just I thought Rudolph watching it as an adult in 2021 is fucking terrible. <laughs> like it is just awful. I will say and again. Hmm? Oh, I apologize. I didn't mean no. to cut you off. No, what were you I say? do want to ask, does the Abominable Snowman come back in, in future Christmas adventures, or is this his only appearance? Because, damn, if this is his only appearance, that's rough. I have no idea, because I know there are several other of these, uh, like the same style stop action thing, but I have no idea if, uh, if he does make a, another appearance. Well, I guess that's next year on the Hollywood Chop Shop <laughs> holiday special. Um, but to round it out, what I will say is I assume that this movie was pretty much the starting point for the movie Elf. And I say that because 
Hermie to me was not actually an elf. He didn't have the pointy ears. His design was completely different than all of the other elves. And to me, that was somebody watching that started like was probably high as shit or drunk out of their ass and started making like their own movie off of this about like, oh, what if Hermie was actually like a human? And like, what if he does actually go off and like goes to New York or something like that? Wouldn't that be funny? But yeah, 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 yeah. But he doesn't go off as a kid. He goes off as an adult. And then like basically it spirals into Will Ferrell being an adult dressing like an elf and going to New York to meet his real dad. Like to me, very, there's a lot of this movie that basically is the starting point of the movie elf. And then somebody was basically ripping on it and made a new movie out of it. Which I would absolutely believe is the case because on its own, this is a terrible Christmas special. I mean, other than the fact that it ties into the well-known Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, I don't know what the message of this movie is. <laughs> Be useful, I, I guess. Yeah, earn your keep or get the fuck out. <laughs> Do your fucking job. Oh, uh, but yeah, so that was again, you know, not doing five points, just kind of doing overall what we thought about these movies. But yeah, I, I definitely at the end of the day, Rudolph was one of those like, I will n- probably never go back and watch this. If I can help it, like I, I will do my my damnedest to not have to go back and watch. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You're a father of soon to be two. It's your duty to erase Rudolph from history for your kids. <laughs> I, You've I proven agree. that there are two good Christmas specials out there. Classics. Stick with those. Yeah. I uh, and I will say I actually have more things I wanted to say about this movie, but a lot of them are very heavily intertwined in my chop shop. So I don't want to ruin my chop shop because there's <laughs> there's a lot of jokes I made while watching this movie. But like I said, I, I definitely incorporated it into my chop shop. So I don't I don't want to spoil some of my my points, but I'll probably bring them up as they happen in my chop shop. Perfect. It sounds like we're uh, we're moving that way. You ready? I mean, I'm ready to do some choppy chop if you are. Chop chop. Uh, as we said at the beginning of the, the episode, a little different this week because this is a special. So since we did three movies, we didn't want to pick or choose what we were going to chop or anything like that. So what we decided to do was basically create the special verse or whatever the fuck we want to call it these days, the chop verse. So we took all three of these movies and basically mashed them all up into one movie. And then we still did the Wheel of Destiny to pick the genre of the movie we were going to have to create with these three movies as our base ingredients. So... I got Blockbuster. Travis, you got miniseries, I believe? That is correct. All right. I will start us off. Uh, Hold on to your butts. This one's a little bit longer, uh, just because we did know, you know, with how we were structuring this, Chop Shops were going to be the probably the the meat of this episode. So (laughs) here we go. It's a a wonderful Christmas verse, whatever. Uh, So in my pitch... I'm going to take these three movies and I'm, I'm going to add a splash of some other 
other movies, well-known movies. All right, there's you're gonna see some elements of the Wizard of Oz, you know, uh, maybe a, a decent helping of of a Lord of the Rings, a sprinkling of Elf, and maybe maybe even you'll you'll pick up on a, a hint, maybe a dash of Revenge of the Sith. All right, Dasher. Yeah, a Dasher of Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Okay. All right. So our movie opens with Charlie Brown being Charlie Brown. He's a melancholy drag and no one really wants to be around him, all right? He's complaining that he hates the holiday season and he doesn't understand what the fuss is about. He's stressed about buying gifts for other people. He never knows what to get them. He never gets what he wants. He just doesn't get the appeal of the whole season, right? Very much like we're doing the Charlie Brown Christmas special. To make matters worse... He now has to go to the dentist on Christmas Eve of all days and get a tooth pulled. As he walks down the street of his little town, he sees many of his fellow classmates as they prepare for Santa in the excitement of the season. Charlie sees Lucy buying a football for her little brother Linus, and he asks if she's going to be an asshole to him, just like she is to Charlie Brown, always pulling that football back, right? Planting that seed, Travis. Planting that seed. Uh, so... When he arrives at the dentist, it's going to be none other than a grown-up Hermie. Come to find out, Hermie wasn't exactly an elf, which is why he never really fit in in the North Pole in Christmastown. As Hermie's asking, uh, ask Charlie how he's doing, Charlie can't help but complain because that's what he does. Hermie reveals that he's actually an elf, well, sort of, and he actually worked at the North Pole for many decades before realizing he was actually human. And it was the magic of Christmastown which caused him to age slower. Um, and it's the, it's the same reason why Chris Kringle is able to be, is, uh, has been around for, you know, eons, right? Because he was young, some young man, and he ages slowly. With the small population in Christmastown not being a great marker for dentistry, he eventually decided to move on to the real world, where he settled down in Charlie Brown's town and started his own practice. As Hermie begins to explain his adventures with Rudolph and Yukon Cornelius, he begins to put Charlie under anesthesia. And the screen flashes white. All right? Or not flashes, but, you know, fades to white. And the next shot is Charlie being awakened by Hermie. Hermie tells Charlie uh, that with, with all that is, uh, sorry, while he was out, he couldn't help but think about all of his holiday jeer and that he'd like to take him and a few of his friends to the North Pole so he can show Charlie what Christmas is all about. Charlie asks, how? And Hermie explains that he's got a friend who can get them there. Charlie agrees and Hermie rushes to the door and flips the open sign to closed and begins to pack a small bag and tells Charlie to meet him in the park in 30 minutes with whoever else is coming. Charlie goes and gets Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy and the three meet Hermie in the park, which is at this point now covered in a dense fog. After looking around and not seeing anything uh, that would get them to the North Pole, they ask Hermie what's going on. Hermie uh, says to look up and right about that time a red light can be seen beaming down from above and Rudolph appears with Fireball and Clarice, the two other deer from you know the Rudolph movie, pulling a small sleigh. Hermie and Rudolph exchange pleasantries and the four board the sleigh and fly to the North Pole. At the North Pole, Charlie and the gang are shown around Santa's workshop. The three children and Snoopy are in awe at the sight of Santa's castle and the spirit and festivities around it. That's a major change I made. I want the castle to be like magnificent, you know, like almost like in uh, the Santa Claus when Bernard takes them to see Santa's workshop. Like there's some there's some magic behind it, right? 
So Charlie gets caught up in the silver and gold shimmer, but quickly reminds himself that this is the very thing that he hates about Christmas, right? And right as he's about to start tearing into everybody and start complaining, Yukon Cornelius storms through the front gate, badly injured, mumbling, they're coming, they're back. They never left. Hermie and Rudolph rush Yukon to the infirmary. The next scene is Yukon are talking to the group. Santa asks what happened, and Yukon explains that the misfit toys are organized and plan to attack Santa's castle tonight. Hermie is in shock and says that can't be. They found the misfit toys' homes years ago. Santa turns his back on the group. Cue dramatic lighting. Santa informs the group that they, they, they did in fact find the misfit toys' homes all those years ago. But the children, the children rejected them. While some of the to toys did find homes, many of them were still broken, like the train and boat that won't float. He never thought to actually bring the toys back and fix them before sending them out into the world. This was one of my problems with Rudolph, all right? They didn't fix the fucking toys. They were, the misfit toys were just going to be like a boomerang and come back. Like, why didn't they take them to the workshop? And like, a train with square wheels is still going to be a, like a toy no kid wants, right? Like, why didn't they go back and fix some of the motherfucking things? Um, so, <laughs> uh, let me find my place here. He never thought to actually bring the toys back and fix them before sending them out into the world. Many of them were brought back to the island, even more jaded than before. Hermie is horrified to hear that he never fulfilled their promise. And he looks to Rudolph and Yukon and says that they have to do something about it. He explains that we, uh, we can bring them back. Maybe we can even take the tools and repair them here. Santa stops Hermie and says, it won't be that easy, son. Hermie gets angry now. He asks why. It says, Santa it won't help. Then he'll do it himself. He looks at Yukon and uh, Rudolph and says, right? But their worried faces tell him that so there's something more to this. Santa touches Hermie's shoulder and says, Son, they're all your toys. Hermie, horrified, can't grasp what Santa means and demands an explanation. You see, Hermie, you were never a good elf. Hell, you weren't a hel an elf at all. Most of the toys you created were unsuited for children, so we cast them off. Those that slipped through QA were rounded up by King Moonracer. After he, the failed recovery years ago, King Moonracer vowed to never trust Santa again, and the two have been at odds ever since. Santa never thought it would come to war, but... So I like the idea that all the misfit toys were a result of Hermie just being a shitty elf, right? Mm-hmm. So, as Santa explains the issue, the castle is bombed by toy planes and a small siege takes place. Uh, as the castle burns, the group attempts to recover the look, uh, um, the, sorry, the group attempts to recover and they look out to the horizon to see the silhouette of King Moonracer against the fiery smoke billowing into the sky. The king turns around and walks past the horizon line and is forced to retreat back to the island. Hermie pleads with his friends and the peanuts to join him to fix what he's done. He can't live with the idea that he's brought nothing but pain to people's lives. Rudolph is unable to join them because it's Christmas Eve and he needs to aid Santa, but Yukon and the Peanuts agree and form a fellowship with the purpose of reconciling with King Moonracer or destroying the island for good. In the next act, the group traverse the harsh environment between Christmas Town and the Island of Misfit Toys. Along the way, they encounter the abominable snow monster of the North several times, and Lucy will have a five-cent discussion with Hermie to dive more into the, uh, the guilt of his past. Shortly after, the group will have their final confrontation with the Bumble, ending with Hermie realizing most of the beast's aggression is due to a rotten tooth. Yukon will trap the monster and Hermie will remove the tooth, 
with Yukon giving the tooth to Charlie Brown as a souvenir, then the party will continue with the Bumble joining them as an ally. The group reaches the island but are unable to penet uh, penetrate the defenses. Yukon and Bumble devise a plan to pull the gate down and cause a diversion so that the group can enter the castle. After successfully entering the castle, Hermie and the Peanuts sneak and fight their way to King Moonracer's main quarters. Moonracer, expecting them, thanks Hermie for his service. Confused, Hermie once again asks for clarification. As Moonracer begins to explain, Snoopy catches a whiff of something and begins to sniff around. The king explains that he's been planning an attack on Christmas Town for years, but he was waiting for Hermie to return. He knew that his arrival would be the last thing he needed to push the toys to war. And he had been building up to this moment. Hermie asks how he knew he would return, and the king outlines a very convoluted plan that caused Charlie Brown, the most negative boy in Hermie's town, to need a tooth removed on Christmas Eve. Right as King Moonracer ends his speech, Snoopy pulls on a loose rope, revealing Max the dog. Max is operating cranks and levers to a complex machine. Startled, Max hits the wrong button and lever, and King Moonracer begins to malfunction, revealing none other than the Grinch piloting it from within. Oh. <laughs> the Grinch, realizing the cat is out of the bag, tells the group that he's finally destroyed Christmas, and it was all thanks to Hermie. Hermie charges the throne to attack the Grinch, and the two begin to fight, with the Grinch easily defeating the dentist. Linus tells Charlie he has to do something. He has to save Christmas. Charlie remembers the tooth and asks Lucy if she can hold it for him like a football. Charlie gets in position and runs up to kick the tooth like a football, anticipating that Lucy will move it in the last minute, as she always does. He shifts his weight, but this time Lucy doesn't move. Move the tooth, or ball, and Charlie instead kicks Lucy. Lucy tells Charlie he ruins everything and the two begin to fight over why they didn't just why he didn't just kick the tooth and Lucy never because Lucy never holds it straight. While they bicker, Linus loads the tooth into his sling and throws it at the Grinch, knocking him down. Linus goes to tend to for Lucy while Charlie approaches Hermie and the Grinch lying on the ground. They both plead for help. The Grinch tries to convince Charlie that the two of them aren't that different and that they're right to hate Christmas. Beyond its over-commercialization, what did anyone ever do for them? Hermie states the opposite. The Christmas is about taking care of those around you, not the gifts you receive, but the love that you give. As the castle continues to cr crumble around them, the, uh, Charlie tells the Grinch that he hates how Christmas has become, but that he can't give up on it or his friends. Hermie is showing him the true meaning of Christmas. Charlie grabs Hermie as Yukon and the Bumble show up and help them get, uh, the group get out. As they leave the wreckage, you can see Max pulling the Grinch into a dark hidden corridor and the castle collapses. Outside, the group observes the mayhem uh, that ensued and many of the misfit toys destroyed uh, and the rest are badly damaged. The toys glare at Hermie. When some of the rumble begins to shift, the real King Moonracer emerges. He explains the Grinch did that and that they can't give up hope. As his speech ends, Santa and Rudolph fly down. Santa offers to take the remaining toys to Christmas Town, where they will be repaired and given another opportunity to be loved by a child. The movie ends with Hermie and Peanuts boarding a sleigh uh, at Santa's castle and saying goodbye to everyone. As they fly into the sky, Hermie looks at Charlie and asks how his mouth feels. Charlie stares puzzled at the camera. It fades back to white, much like it did when he went under anesthesia as they fly into the clouds. End movie. Holy shit. A uh, couple of questions. Uh-huh. 
Well, first is an observation. I love the Charlie Brown Grinch. We're the same comparison, kind of Batman, the Joker vibe. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And the ending that you described there with the fade to white. Are you implying that maybe this was in Charlie Brown's head? I don't know, or am Travis. I reading too much into it. I don't know, Travis. Was it? Was it all a dream? <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> no, but really, though, was it a dream? No, no, they really went to Christmas Town. <laughs> How else are we going to make a sequel? Oh, oh. It's a blockbuster, Travis. If it does well, we definitely have to make another. And that can't happen if he was fucking dreaming. Uh, it's funny you say that, Brett. Because uh, blockbusters, they need a sequel. Prestige series, if they're successful enough, maybe they get a sequel too? Perhaps. Might I uh, go into mine? I would love to hear your prestige miniseries. Uh, well, before we begin, I have to let you know the opening of my miniseries is going to be scored by a gentleman named Leonard Cohen. Uh, would you and, like uh, to tell the audience maybe a song that they might be familiar with? with uh with this gentleman um i'll give you two if you've seen the watchman the the movie he sings hallelujah in that film um if you've seen the hbo doc series i'll be gone in the dark a cover of his song is the opening intro uh, he, he does a good job of uh, doing ominous music. Okay. So the opening of my prestige miniseries, it's going to be the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it's going to be Leonard Cohen singing it. <laughs> and in the opening credits, we're going to have imagery of burning Christmas trees uh, Santa's sleigh knocked over, Santa's workshop looking run down and abandoned. And interspersed throughout the credits, we're going to get our, our star names revealed. Charlie Brown, The Grinch, Lucy, Yukon Cornelius, Pigpen, featuring Snoopy. So we're going to open with episode one, which is called Sleigh Bells. And we're going to open with a tight shot of Detective Charlie Brown driving in his squad car. Uh, and we're going to hear his narration. It had been two months with my new partner, and thus far, he lived up to his reputation. Uh, we then zoom out to reveal Detective Grinch riding shotgun. He speaks, I hate this fucking heat. I don't know why I accepted this transfer. 
Charlie Brown responds, Yeah, you're a long way from Whoville. I don't know why you left. I thought you and the town had worked all that out. The Grinch looks out the car window and solemnly responds, Well, things change. As the words leave his mouth, Grinch rubs a scar on the side of his neck. We cut to present day where Charlie Brown is being visited by Linus. Uh, Charlie's in a hospital bed, looking beat up. His neck is heavily bandaged. Linus tells him, I'm just worried about you, Charlie Brown. With all this happening around Christmas time, I, I don't want you to backslide. Charlie, seemingly unable to speak, scribbles on a pad of paper and shows it to Linus. Linus looks shocked, but we can't see what's on the paper. And we're going to cut back to Charlie and the Grinch in their squad car pulling up to a field. It's been marked off by police tape, and the two detectives cross behind and walk towards a gigantic fir tree. Hanging in the tree, we find the corpses of Cupid and Blitzen. Both of their noses have been painted red. And we roll credits. So I'll stop there, Brad. Do you have any questions or comments? No, I'm I'm in love with this already. Like this is starting to feel a little true detective. Mm, you nailed it. So we'll go to episode two entitled Home for Christmas. We open with Grinch and Charlie Brown, and they're in the home of Dasher. Dasher is having a cup of coffee at his kitchen table. I know he's a reindeer. I don't know how he's drinking the coffee, but imagine that he is. The detectives ask him some questions. Charlie says, So Dasher, I was shocked to learn that you live here in town. I thought part of the reindeer gig was uh, being able to stay at the North Pole for free all year. Dasher responds, Yeah, that used to be the gig. It was nice. That was before everything went to shit. And the Grinch chimes in and says, What do you know about shit, Bambi? You've been riding the coattails of Rundolph for decades now, and you work one night a fucking year. Just keep cashing those royalty checks. Dasher responds, Nah, man, nah. You've got it all wrong. The money is dried up. No one has seen Rudolph in a decade. Most of our money, it comes from appearance fees. And for the record, if you didn't screw up that shit in Whoville, you wouldn't be working this beat. The Grinch is angered by uh, the Whoville reference and begins to step towards Dasher when Charlie Brown interjects. Uh, so no one stays at the North Pole anymore? Dasher responds, well, you know, Santa still does, but the rest of us were part-time. We show up a few weeks before Christmas and we're gone before New Year's. Except for Rudolph, of course. The Grinch and Charlie exchange knowing glances while Dasher notices and adds, Hey, what's with all the questions about Rudolph? Uh, has there been a sighting? The detectives share information about uh, Cupid and Blitzen and advise Dasher to be careful as the other reindeer might still be targets. 
The detectives leave Dasher's home and discuss the case as they drive to visit Dancer, the only other reindeer known to live in town. As they drive, the Grinch stares out the window as the car passes a gas station where he sees a young Who girl wearing a parka despite it being 80 degrees outside. The Grinch says, Do you believe in ghosts? Charlie doesn't respond. He only side-eyes the Grinch and we cut to the car arriving at Dancer's home. The two detectives knock on the front door with no response and Grinch finds that the door is unlocked and the two enter. They find Dancer dead, both of his hind legs broken and again his nose is painted red as we roll credits. So I'll stop there before episode three, Brett. You got anything? So my only my only question is why you didn't have them meet Dancer or try and find out information at Dancer at a strip club. Because I just feel like that was maybe it's low hanging fruit, but I just feel like Dancer would have <laughs> had to have been like at, at a strip club. Uh, is Dancer a male or a female? I mean, either could be strippers, Brett. True. I just wasn't sure if if that was going to matter because I was going to say it would be really funny if they had to go to a male strip club. I mean, God it is twenty twenty one. I missed an opportunity with Dancer, Brad. That's that's why we interject uh, with your your input there. But yeah, it would be really funny if even if they uh, Dancer wasn't there, and then it still ends with the same thing with them going to to his and or her house and finding them dead. It still would have been fun if the first place they stopped was a strip club because again we've already established dancer yes that, that you know they're hard they're hard for cash and maybe dancer had to had to get back on that that deer pole. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant! Yes. So we can pretend that there was a strip club involved in there. Uh, so we're going to go to episode three. And it's called Three Wise Men. Uh, we open in Whoville on Christmas Eve night. Uh, we're going to follow the events of the Grinch who stole Christmas. You know, the Grinch has parlayed his fame into becoming the sheriff of Whoville. You know, he's riding around in his uh, sheriff's truck with his canine partner, Max. Uh, Sheriff Grinch stops at a red light as several tourists cross in front, you know, going across the crosswalk. Uh, they're all carrying large presents, and Max begins to growl at the tourists and whimper to Grinch. Grinch turns on his police lights and steps out of his vehicle and begins to speak to the tourists. Hey, guys, I don't think I've seen you around before. Uh, mind if I take a look at your presence there? Uh, we have a pretty strict policy to inspect all large packages prior to entering the park. The group of three tier, uh, oh, excuse me, the group of three tourists uh, dressed in robes look nervously as one pulls a submachine gun from his coat and attempts to fire on the Grinch. Uh, the Grinch has his neck clipped by a shot, but manages to score a headshot on the first assailant. Another tourist produces a shotgun from his present box and shoots Grinch in the chest. Uh, Grinch is wearing his bulletproof vest, but the blast still sends him to the ground, knocking the wind out of him. 
Max leaps from the truck window and attacks a shotgun-wielding tourist, wrestling him to the ground. As Don't you Max do it. viciously Don't you attacks do it. his target, the third Don't you fucking do it. Pulls... Oh, we'll see. As Max viciously attacks his target, the third tourist pulls a knife and begins to stab Max. Max yelps in pain, but continues to defend you. <clears throat> but continues to to defend the Grinch. A recovering Grinch raises up and sees his partner being attacked and fires multiple shots into the knife-wielding attacker. As the attacker falls to the ground, the camera reveals the camera reveals that one of the bullets went through its target and struck. A little who girl in a parka standing directly behind the assailant. A shell-shocked Grinch tries to process what is happening as wounded Max lays down next to him and dies from his wounds. Cut to present day. Grinch and Charlie Brown exit a plane and enter the small airport of Casper, Wyoming. The last known whereabouts of Rudolph. Uh, Charlie Brown's Wyoming contact Pigpen awaits. Uh, Pigpen drives the detectives to a remote cabin, which is Rudolph's last known location. Pigpen tells the detectives there were uh, rumors that Rudolph had started some sort of commune or cult in the hills. But the trio discover a decomposing reindeer in the cabin. Foul play clearly being a factor. They deduce, based on decomposition, the corpse seems to have been killed around the same time as Cupid and Blitzen. Grinch and Charlie Brown look at each other confused as ominous music leads us to the end credits. So I'll pause there, Brett, at the end credits. Yes, we did kill the dog. You're an asshole. You uh, you have any observations thus far? No. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> episode four, entitled Christmas Bonus. We open at the North Pole in a flashback. Yukon Cornelius brings his caravan into town, selling his goods and wares to the elves and reindeer stationed at the North Pole. The reindeer buy jewelry and food from Cornelius, but the elves can't afford anything at all. They complain to Cornelius, but he assures them that he's only charging what he has to. This is all due to inflation. The elves have made numerous attempts to get better wages from Santa, but much like their first song in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as we reviewed... Santa is not impressed with uh, their pleas. Uh, he tells them that uh, they just need to ensure delivery for Christmas, and that's all they need to worry about. Later on, Rudolph admonishes Santa for not providing the elves a living wage. Santa flies into a rage, telling Rudolph that from now on, all of their jobs are part-time. Housing at the North Pole will now only be for the month of December. Back in the present, 
Grinch and Charlie are sitting at the bar debating on the possibility of there being two killers. And they're exchanging their theories. But by the end of the night, both men are smashed. Grinch gets a cab to go home while Charlie decides he's close enough to walk. As Charlie stumbles up his driveway, he notices his garage door is open. As he gets closer, a figure runs out of the dark, being chased by Snoopy, and chasing him away from the home. A drunk Charlie shouts, hey, stop! But he's too drunk to pursue, so he draws his service weapon and enters the house looking for his wife, Lucy. He hears upstairs as she yells at someone to get their hands off of her. He begins to creep up the stairs, hoping to surprise the attacker, and as he rounds the corner at the top of the stairs, he sees a red light emanating from the bedroom. He can still hear his wife, and as he reaches the door, he's hit from behind by an unseen attacker. Charlie falls to the ground, and his unseen attacker speaks. This isn't a reindeer game, Charlie. Stop working this case, or next time, it'll be worse. Roll credits. You got anything there, Brett? I'm still here, yeah. I thought you were going to kill Snoopy right there, too, and I was like, you're a real fucking piece of shit. I can't kill two dogs. At a certain point, I'll be honest, after finding out Max died, my hope was that Charlie winds up getting killed and the Grinch winds up with Snoopy. Don't know if that's where you're going or not, but I'm just thinking, like, you know, it's maybe it's the best for everybody. We'll see. So we got two episodes left. All right, I'm I'm invested. Let's do this. Episode five. Last Christmas. It's December 20th. Several weeks have passed since Charlie Brown's family was attacked in their home. For their safety, Charlie sends Lucy and Snoopy to witness protection. Grinch and a now bloodthirsty Charlie Brown take leaves of absence and decide to go out of jurisdiction to the North Pole, suspecting that the killer may show up to kill another reindeer on Christmas. And we're going to have a montage uh, set to an ominous version of the Peanuts theme. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Charlie Brown's going to be stealing weapons from the department's equipment room to prepare to go rogue. Uh, Grinch and Charlie arrive at the North Pole, and we find it unseasonably warm. It's above freezing, hardly any snow on the ground, mostly slush. The skies are overcast, and rain appears to be on the way. Now, I I put in parentheses here. You can interpret the, the warmer, uglier North Pole as global warming or as general loss of the Christmas spirit. Take your pick. I would do Christmas spirit lost. Um, just because I feel like shoehorning in an environmental thing here at the end doesn't feel it feels tacked on. So I would I would stick with my interpretation would have been it's just the Christmas spirit going up in flames. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to throw that possibility out. I agree with mm-hmm. you though. 
Uh, so Grinch and Charlie use their stolen tactical gear to climb over the wall of Santa's castle. And they enter into a giant outdoor courtyard. A drunk Santa sits at the end of a long banquet table alone. Grinch and Charlie approach and call out, Hey Santa, where is everybody? Uh, getting awfully close to Christmas, wouldn't you say? As the two get closer, they realize Santa is actually chained to the table. And Santa raises his head to reveal that he is beaten to shit. The two detectives uh, raise their stolen assault rifles when suddenly the courtyard begins to fill with elves, also carrying a variety of weapons. The elf leader reveals that they're here to kill Christmas once and for all. They're bitter for all of Santa's mistreatment and poor wages for so long. Just then, the remaining reindeer run into the room with weapons drawn. Again, I don't know how. They've got hooves. <laughs> but they rush to defend Santa, which leads to a Mexican standoff between uh, the detectives Grinch and Charlie on one side, the elves on another side, and then the reindeer defending Santa on the other. The reindeer chastise the elves for murdering innocent reindeer, while the elves tell the reindeer that they never bothered to help the underpaid elves. As tensions escalate, Charlie Brown's seething anger over his wife and dog being put in danger leads him to shoot the elf leader in the head, which causes all hell to break loose. Everyone takes cover where they can, and the gunfight intensifies. While Charlie is taking out his fair share of elves, Grinch is having a flashback to when he killed to the Who child. Uh, because, you know, the elves are short and they resemble children, so the Grinch is having that flashback. Mm -hmm. Charlie tries to snap Grinch out of it as the two detectives run from cover to cover to get to Santa. Some of the remaining reindeer are picked off by gunfire leaving only one reindeer and Santa. Grinch and Charlie make it to Santa and the remaining reindeer, and they say, we've got to get him out of here. Blitzer, can you help us? Or wait, is it Vixen? Which, whichever you are. The reindeer says, very funny. The group grabs Santa and begin to move as a clap of thunder hits and it begins to rain. The last batch of elves stand that stand between the detectives and the exit. Well, they're all there, basically. Uh, and they're going to plan their final push. Uh, Charlie Brown tries one more peck pep talk to Grinch and he says the elves they're not kids if we're going to make it out here alive I need your help you're going to have to take them out just then the reindeer speaks and says no gentlemen I don't think you're going to make it out regardless as the reindeer turns towards our uh, detectives the pouring rain starts to wash away the black paint on the reindeer's nose. 
revealing a bright red schnoz. As we realize that Rudolph is the last reindeer, he stabs Charlie in the neck with his antler and uh, kicks Grinch. He throws Santa on his back and rides off to join the elves. Uh, Grinch takes off his button-down shirt and he ties it around Charlie's neck to stop the bleeding. And the Grinch pleads with his partner, Charlie, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Hang in there. Charlie begins to gurgle blood as the camera switches to a bird's eye view and slowly pulls out as the Grinch tries to comfort his partner as credits roll. And Brett, I just want to say, I would love to see your design of a vengeful Rudolph with his uh, black paint washing away and Charlie Brown's blood on his antlers. So just want to throw that imagery out there for you. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Uh, but do you have any feedback before we get to the season finale? No, like at first I was thinking like it'd be an interesting image to see the rain turn to snow, but it doesn't make sense like from a metaphor what that would symbolize. So I think the rain is appropriate. So yeah, yeah just I needed something to wash away the black paint. No, and it makes sense too with you saying that the North Pole was abnormally warm and stuff like that. It was one of those like, okay, is this the almost like the Lion King at the end? Instead of rain washing yes. away, it'd be snow or something like that because it's the North Pole. But I'm uh, I'm I'm really interested to see where this ends. My only thing right, is, well, speaking Hermie of, hasn't oh, made ahead. an appearance yet, which concerns me. It's he was either omitted on purpose or Hermie's gonna he's gonna be a part of the cult. <laughs> Uh, you know, spoilers, he's omitted. Okay, okay. Um, so, episode six, entitled, And a Happy New Year. Uh, we open up back in Charlie Brown's hospital room that we saw in episode one. Linus is still looking at the piece of paper that Charlie wrote on. And Linus looks up from the paper, sadly, at Charlie, and Linus speaks... Charlie, you were there. You know how bad it was. No one has seen him since you were airlifted out of the North Pole. We cut back to the end of episode five. Grinch continues to comfort the wounded Charlie. And the camera begins to zoom tightly into the Grinch's face. And he looks up in anger at the fleeing elves. And he grabs both his and Charlie's assault rifle and gives chase unloading on any elf that tries to stop him. So I'm going to stop here. I'm going to say I'm not sure of the specifics on how this will play out. Uh, but we're going to end on the North Pole action with Rudolph kidnapping Santa and flying off. Uh, the Grinch decides to steal Santa's sleigh at first to give chase, but then he decides it's more important to save his partner and he loads Charlie back into Santa's sleigh and flies back home for emergency care. And we're going to end at the hospital with a reveal of what Charlie wrote on the paper. And the paper says, where's Rudolph? And Linus says, I don't know. 
I don't know how we could possibly find him. And Linus is interrupted by the Grinch entering the hospital room, wounded himself. And he says, well, Linus, we need to start by asking the right fucking questions. And we're going to roll credits. And if this is renewed for season two, we're going to follow a now mute Charlie Brown <laughs> in the Grinch pursuing Rudolph. And that's it. I mean, if I'm honest, Travis, I love it and I hate you because I'm very invested to know what Rudolph's cult was, what he wanted to do with Santa. Let's Rudolph hate Christmas now. Is he trying to usurp and he's going to become the new son? What is going on? I, there's so much I need to know more that better be greenlit for a second season. Well, I mean, that's really uh, upon the listeners of this podcast, Brett. If we generate enough interest that a year from now there's a second holiday special, I intend to give you season two. You're telling me I could potentially have to wait 12 months, 12 months to find out what happens? I mean, that's HBO Prestige, baby. Damn. All right. Like I said, I'm uh, I both love and hate you right now because I did not think I needed true Christmas, but <laughs> you gave it to me. I love that. Uh, well, I'll just let you know, Brett, and and you may take this with a grain of salt because this is what every creator says, but I've got some very definite ideas on season two, Brett. Hopefully it doesn't get canceled like Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's good that Cowboy Bebop got canceled because it was dog shit, but I hope yours doesn't get canceled because it's fantastic. And don't pull a True Detective season two, okay? Just skip straight to season three. <laughs> well, I have to say Leonard Cohen was, uh, was the season two soundtrack for the opening, so uh, take that so the the only only minor modification or not even modification i was just i am asking so you had the the melancholy peanuts theme while they're getting their their song would it be that or hallelujah or not sorry hallelujah but hark the angel or like a melon like Hark the angel, he has come. Like, that's the only, I was like, I won't, I don't know if it, uh, a, a slight swap there, but I also think the Charlie Brown theme makes a lot of sense there too. So I, I don't know. That was the only one, the only part where I was like, Ooh, this could go either way for me, but uh, I, I applaud you, sir. I'm, like I said, I, I need to know what happens in season two of True Christmas. Yeah, the only reason I use the Peanuts theme instead, because as old as the Peanuts theme is, that was a banger. That was my mm -hmm. favorite part of the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas special is is no. when the Peanuts theme came in. Yeah, I agree. You, you got you to get it in there somewhere. So I again, kudos to you, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, I do enjoy the thought of a... Uh, Charlie Brown, who's had his vocal cords ripped out by uh, Rudolph. 
uh, pursuing Rudolph to the ends of the earth. So uh, I hope I get to tell the uh, second season. So with that said, is it completely or will he have one of those voice box things like when you smoke too much? Will he be able to use one of those or is he just he will be completely mute? It's weird that you mentioned that because I did think of both elements of just having the. Uh, oh, God, who's the gentleman in the wheelchair? Stephen Hawking. Uses- yes, there you go. I was thinking about the Stephen Hawking voice for Charlie Brown. Or <laughs> Thankfully, I've got 11 months to work on it. Well, here's the other thing. If you want to do a good Charlie Brown callback, um, I don't think that ever happened. And they never talked to adults in the Christmas special. But anytime in like, it's like, <laughs> like wah, 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 wah. if he tries to talk and that's what his vocal cords sound like, it would be a fucking hysterical callback in a very serious series. Like, Charlie, what was that? It's like, <laughs> oh, yes, that's uh, that's that's in the file for season two. <laughs> um all right well then i have one more segment here um we'll do margins and i think we'll wrap this up maybe do a little bit of housekeeping for the next trilogy but so the premise of this game travis is it's a little bit of a combination of something we do in wrap up um and maybe a little you know a little bit of blue book here since it's not there it's, it's, it's a guessing game so what i would like you to do travis is i have looked up the Rotten Tomato scores for all three of our our Christmas specials here. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell me what the margin between the critic review and the audience are the critic score and the audience score is for each of these movies. So what do you think the difference is? And I'll give you I'll give you plus or minus two to whatever you say. Well, I guess my first question is, are all of these more critically acclaimed than audience acclaimed, or is there a nice mix there? I don't feel like I should tell you that. I feel like that you have to try and guess what you think critics felt about these and what you think an audience feels about these. These classics. Okay. All right. Well, which one do you want to lead off with? Let's lead off... Let's let's follow the same order we did with our our reviews. Let's start with the Grinch. What do you think the margin for the Grinch is? I'm going to say all of these are overwhelmingly positive. I would say the margin between Grinch reviews critic to audience I'll say 7% or so seven okay yeah seven percent seven points so i i told you i'd give you plus or minus two right all right with your plus or minus two you you got that one it's a five point margin between the critics and the audience critics give 1966's the grinch 100 percent is a 100 percent score on rotten tomatoes audiences give it a 95 oh my god 100 percent yeah uh, as of the time when I looked this up, I, I will double check it right now. But yes, it was a hundred percent, hundred percent. But again, you have to remember the it's it's a pass or fail. Would you watch? Just would you not? Granted, it's only twenty five. It only has twenty five reviews, which is strange to me. But yes, it's sitting at a hundred. All right, are you ready for the Charlie Brown Christmas? 
Travis. I'm sorry, you cut out. What'd you say? Oh, Are you ready for Charlie Brown Christmas? Yeah, give it to me. Um, well, let me ask you this. Are the other two also going to be 100% for critic score? No, no. Neither of the other two have 100%. Okay, all right. It worries me because Charlie Brown is my favorite of the three. But some of the backstory that you gave me makes me concerned that critics and audience might not be the, on the same page. So I know this is not what you're asking me, but I'm going to say critic review. 92% for Charlie Brown. And I'm going to say the audience score goes higher, and I'll say 97%. So what's that, a difference of 5%? Okay. You uh, you would be wrong. It's a one-point margin. Critics gave Charlie Brown an 83, and audiences gave oh. it an 82. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, I do not know uh, what happened there. Because I agree, I'm I'm very surprised at uh, at what it scored. The only thing I can think is that people that reviewed it negatively were on the same page as me, where they didn't know about Charlie Brown being kind of a negative, melancholy character. But uh, I'm just guessing there. Maybe actually, as a, it, it's changed, it's now a no point. It's 83 and 83. So a couple people have come on and, and reviewed it since I got these scores. Uh, so yes, there's a zero point margin. Both audiences and critics agree. 83%. Uh, just curious. I know sometimes you have pull quotes of negative reviews, but do you know what people didn't like about Charlie Brown? Um, let's see here. My least favorite of these specials, and it makes no sense. I was thrown off by how slow it felt, even at 25 minutes, and the ending is so randomly thrown together. One person just put splat. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I get the complaint that it kind of just randomly ends, but again, the, the heartfelt message is there for me. So last... And certainly least, what do you think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer comes in at? Um, I'm going to say 70% critics. And I'll say 69% audience for a difference of 1%. So there's a... Well... There was a five-point spread on this one. It has since changed. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was a 15-point spread, and now it's a 14-point spread. So this one has the, the largest spread of the two, all right, with 14. In an upset more egregious than liking Over the Top more than King Richard and He Got Game, 95% of critics oh. like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And Why? A 81% of audiences did. Yeah, it's great to go out into the wilderness and abuse nature. 
Uh, one is it uh, in some sense one might think of it as the mother are the mother recipe of American Christmas specials. Rudolph would be nothing without its colorful cast of supporting characters, none of which marks a apparently felt worthy of inclusion in the original song. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's all just stupid shit. Someone gave it a, a plus because the best character in the special and perhaps all of Western literature, Yukon Cornelius, the greatest prospector in the world, Yoo-Hoo. Uh, what? Yep. That, that guy's the from the greatest Nerdist. character in Western literature? I assume that they're just being... Knowing it's from the Nerdist, they're being sarcastic. But yeah, at the end of the day, 95% of people found Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer worthy of watching. We would be in the 5%, because I consider us critics, you know, uh, that say this thing is dog shit not worth looking at. Yeah, now, I'm not a parent, but I would find it to be detrimental to show my child Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as a Christmas special. Yeah, so I then, because after I got those results, was like, okay, I understand Rotten Tomatoes is a pass-fail. There's a certain level of nostalgia behind some of these that people can't let go of. And, you know, as even as a critic, you can't release it. So I decided to go to IMDb. Because they have a 10-point scale, right? To see what they were rated over there. Do you want to guess the highest rated of the three movies? Uh, I mean, I hope it's Charlie Brown. Do you want to guess what Charlie Brown was rated? Out of 10? Out of 10. Uh, I'll say 9.5. What'd you say? 9.5. So the Grinch and Charlie Brown share the same score with an 8.4. Uh, okay, and that's higher than Rudolph, though, right? Which comes in at 8. Which I still think is way too high. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird how nostalgia works because... I, I'm surprised that it works in the favor of Rudolph. I really don't know what the enduring appeal of Rudolph is as presented yeah. in, in the story that we reviewed. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I don't understand what it is about that. To Knowing that you can watch Charlie Brown and The Grinch in less time than it takes to watch all of Rudolph, I have no fucking clue who would choose Rudolph. <laughs> I have to assume that it's something adjacent to how people love teddy bears. You know, the Grinch as a stuffed animal is not all that lovable. Uh, Charlie Brown, while lovable, I think the stuffed animal quotient is more Snoopy. Uh, so that leaves you with Rudolph, because I, I remember as a kid, my grandparents had various Rudolph, you know, Christmas ornaments and little stuffed animals. So I, I have to assume that it's that. Maybe. Who knows? But with that bombshell, I think that it about wraps up our our first Christmas special. Uh is there is there any last notes you want to give us before we 
we move on to a little bit of housekeeping? Uh, no, let's uh, let's get into what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So now that we have rearranged things because someone, <laughs> me, uh, can't read a calendar correctly, um, we are going to be moving into our Christmas Come Early trilogy, which starts with Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which we will actually be seeing in theaters, followed up with The Matrix Resurrections, which is on HBO Max, and following that up with Don't Look Up, which is on Netflix. Have you uh, heard any early reviews of uh, Don't Look Up? Uh, I've mixed. I think, well, I, yeah, I say mixed, but I think they're skewed more negative. The problem is I try not to look at the reviews because I don't want to have, like, I don't want to go in with low expectations and then be like, oh, actually, I thought it was pretty good, or go in with high expectations and be like, I don't understand what the fuss was all about. Um, but yeah, I've, a lot of it has been that, you know, it's not funny. It's a disaster. The other side of it has been like, it's clever. You know, we might as well laugh at the global warming since we're not going to be doing anything at it. So I don't know. I loved the trailer, which is why I wanted to review it. So we'll see. Hopefully it's not one of those where they put all of the best moments in the trailer to get me to watch it. But, you know, I'm I need to create a tally of of Netflix pass and fail, like a Rotten Tomatoes score with Netflix movies, just because I want to see how successful they've been. Because I think we talked about a little bit with like the, what is it? Uh, Eternal Sunshine podcast where we talked about, you know, I think Netflix and even to that extent, maybe even the straight to HBO model. That's where we're going to start seeing some more of those more narrative driven movies and stuff like that, rather than just the Marvel blockbuster shit, um, you know, in the latest Star Wars flop. So I, uh, I'm interested to see what ne if Netflix starts, if they just kind of become what a movie theater used to be, where you're going to get good movies and then you're also going to get some stuff that's just rubbish. Yeah, I won't go into it too far, but on another podcast, I believe it was a wrap up. You asked me how concerned I was for Ryan Johnson's, you know, Knives Out sequels coming to Netflix. Mm hmm. At the time you asked me, I was not concerned at all. <laughs> uh, the buzz on Don't Look Up, I'm starting to wonder if Netflix could fucking ruin a wet dream. But we'll see. I I'm going to reserve judgment. We'll find out in a couple weeks. Absolutely. With that, everybody, hope you have a wonderful holiday. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back next week for... Uh... I guess it'd be later this week for some Spider-Man wrap. I do believe that episode is going to release a day late just because we're trying to get into the theaters at the right times. Travis, I believe you're not seeing it until Saturday. Give you some time to actually do it. So it'll probably post Sunday night, Monday morning. But yeah, and then we'll be back to our or normal regular Saturday postings. We will see you there. Bye.